Welcome to The Nine Line, your news and information source for healthcare-related issues impacting Southern Nevada veterans, and a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. And now, here's your host, Joshua Gray. Hello and welcome to The Nine Line. I'm your host, Joshua Gray. Thank you for joining me today. And today, this is our, our first show without um, our old host, John Archiquette. He's uh, moved on to bigger and better things, so it's just me. But I've got a great guest here with me today um, talking about something that uh, if you're a person who has come into our clinic, you have uh, probably seen some of the people that this gentleman uh, helps out and works with, uh, our volunteers. So joining me today is our chief for the VA Center for Development and Civic Engagement here locally. This is Robert Johnson. Robert, thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Josh. Good to be here. That Great. So like I mentioned, you manage all of the volunteers here at the uh, VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. So tell me a little bit about the volunteer program, both both here locally in Las Vegas and, and kind of VA-wide. Absolutely. Uh, thank you for having me again, Josh. Um, it's my pleasure to be here to tell you a little bit about our volunteer program here at the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. Um, the, uh, the, the volunteer program, uh, it is a national program, um, uh, managed through our VA central office, um, and uh, it is a program that is throughout VA. Um, every facility has a, every VA facility has a, a uh, voluntary service or what is now known as the Center for Development and Civic Engagement. Um, uh, here at our facility, um, we, uh, we have about 217 active volunteers um, pre-COVID, and, and we can certainly talk a little bit more about that, but uh, we were closer to about 600 volunteers. And uh, we're slowly bringing back those uh, volunteers. Um, uh, some have decided not to come back. Some uh, are still in the, uh, in the waiting stage. Um, but uh, getting back to your question, um, uh, we're part of VISN 21, um, uh, which puts us in the Northern California uh, VA system uh, of clinics or uh, medical centers, um, uh, Northern California, Reno, uh, um, Hawaii, uh, Guam, and the Philippines, uh, m one of the most geographically spread out uh, VISNs in, in, in the country. Um, and uh, of those VISN 21 sites, um, pre-COVID, we were probably the second largest volunteer program, next only to the, uh, the program in Palo Alto, California. Uh, they have a strong uh, university affiliation there and a pretty big place, but uh, we're, uh, and, and we're a growing area of the country, as you know. So what does a what does a volunteer do here? I mean, I, I walk around and I know who all of the volunteers are because, you know, we see them on a daily basis and we're I'm familiar with kind of where our volunteers are. But somebody might walk into the facility and not know they're interacting with a volunteer and, and not necessarily an employee. So what do the volunteers here do? Because um, it's a lot. Right. Yes, uh, absolutely. Um, uh, we have uh, we have volunteer positions in over, I would say, probably about approximately 40 different areas throughout the medical center, as well as our outlying clinics. Um, to give you an idea of some of those areas, uh, they include, uh, right when you come into our medical center, our information desks. Um, we have volunteers, as I mentioned, uh, at the, the uh, our primary care clinics or 
our clinics, uh, the Northwest, Northeast, Southwest, and Southeast clinics. Uh, they perform um, more or less uh, information desks, help with wayfinding, questions uh, regarding uh, the, the uh, facilities, uh, where does a veteran do uh, need to go to get a certain service, uh, invaluable resource there. Uh, we have volunteers at our Fisher House, um, and uh, they do cooking, cleaning, uh, even help uh, with, with uh, some gardening there. Um, we have, a, uh, as you know, a volunteer in medical media that helps with reproduction, a fantastic volunteer. Um, volunteers uh, in our prosthetics department. Um, we have a program called uh, our Red Coat Ambassador Program. Uh, these are uh, volunteers who prominently can be seen uh, wearing a red vest. Uh, they help um, volunteers find uh, different areas throughout the medical center, but in addition to that, they will identify areas that that might be broken or needs improvement, report those issues to us so that we get a better handle of what needs to be fixed or corrected here in the medical center. Um, we have a wonderful musician who plays piano here at the medical center, so as part of our music and therapy program. Uh, we have volunteers in our infusion clinic uh, that talk and um, interact with our infusion patients while they get their medical treatment, um, wiping down the um, their table, uh, their uh, their seats, and providing them snacks during their their episode of care. Um, volunteers that do uh, mail um, in our mail room here um, that wheel a cart throughout the medical center. Um, volunteers in physical therapy. Um, a few other clinical areas uh, that mostly do administrative work. Uh, and then last but not least, um, an invaluable uh, resource for our veterans um, are DAV volunteer drivers who provide transportation um, for our volunteers who, who do not have transportation to their medical appointments. And, um, and that seems like that's a, yeah, it's a pretty big thing, especially because we have people coming in from Pahrump and, and Laughlin. You know, those those DAV drivers will go all the way out. You know, they're doing a three-hour round trip, you know, well, six hours if you if you consider it because they got to go out there, pick them up, bring them back here, and then take them back. You know, that's a, that's a pretty big investment. Um, so, you know, uh, one thing I wanted to ask, uh, you mentioned there are some volunteers in some clinical areas, and I know there are, like, doctors who will volunteer their time at, at local clinics, um, you know, whether it's, like, drug addiction sometimes or something like that. Do we have any volunteers here that are that are seeing patients, or are all of our, our volunteers here, is it more of a, a support role? Uh, more of a support role, but nationally... Um Big VA is looking at um, shadowing programs, and um, we'll, we'll be looking at that in in, uh, in the upcoming years and what we can do to help with with that mission. Uh, but currently, uh, they uh, none of our volunteers are actually um, hands-on providers or per performing any sort of medical care or treatment. Okay, so yeah, it's all just helping folks find their way, doing some of the clerical things that need to be done. Like you mentioned, we have a we have a volunteer here that works in public affairs, and he helps, you know, he helps with our, our printing shop, basically, downstairs. So it's it's all things like that. Okay. Yes. Uh -huh. um, I want to talk a little bit in, in a minute about, you know, how somebody becomes a 
how somebody becomes a volunteer. But I want to talk about the the Redcoats here just for a minute that you mentioned. Okay. You know, they because they sound like the way you described it. They sound like kind of a a super volunteer, right? Like they know they've been here a long time. They know a lot of stuff. So you know, how does somebody get to become like a Redcoat? Like, is there a process they have to go um, through, or do they just do you just like look at somebody and go, "You're really great. I'm going to make you a Redcoat." Like, how yeah. does that work? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. Um, and again, our, our red coats uh, do a phenomenal job um, with our patients and uh, in their interacting with our veterans here. Um, we do have a process, and it sounds like we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, how to become a volunteer, but uh, we generally look for volunteers who have at least 50 to 100 hours of service in an information desk area or another area that would educate that volunteer on what happens here at the medical center and um, where to find different clinics. Um, we um, generally will put them uh, in an area first before they become a red coat uh, so that they can become familiar with uh, more of, about what we do here and where it is performed. So, you know, and, and we talked a, b- a little bit about what our volunteers do, but, I, you know, they're people, right? So who are our volunteers? Like, are we, are we finding folks who are former employees that have retired or they're veterans and they just want to give back or spouses or, you know, who, who are the people behind all of these roles? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, to give you a better understanding about uh, who makes up our, our volunteer cadre, um, Uh, First and foremost, um, I would say that the majority of our volunteers are, in fact, veterans or uh, uh, having served in the armed forces at one time or another. Um, We get a lot of retirees uh, that want to give back. Um, We have volunteers, uh, um, oftentimes uh, they're members of veteran or community service organizations uh, familiar with what VA does in providing uh, our, our mission of providing health care to uh, our veterans and want to give back. Um, we also get volunteers who are family members of uh, staff as well as veteran patients uh, who, be, who, um, who out of appreciation for their care here also want to give back and want to help the facility and its mission caring for veterans. Um, uh, we, uh, we are seeing an increase in college students, which is a great thing, um, who want to uh, help our, our veteran community, um, which I find awesome, and uh, we're, we're welcoming to our students. Uh, and then we, we have a, a small group uh, made up of our summer youth volunteers. Uh, unfortunately, we weren't able to uh, have our, our student youth program uh, during COVID in uh, uh, the last two years, uh, but brought it back this year um, with a small group of uh, Clark County School District uh, uh, students, uh, ages 14 to 18, and uh, we'll be um, we'll be providing them a uh, orientation on June June 6th uh, um, about a group of 13 individuals. But um, uh, uh, going back to your question, Josh, and, and uh, you know who makes up that that volunteer group, um, uh, what they all share uh, in common is that they all want to give back to veterans. Uh, they appreciate the service of our, our veterans and um, what they're here for, and uh, they want to express their appreciation and, and do something for our veteran patients, and 
they do a phenomenal job. Uh, you mentioned kind of the a couple of times now. You've mentioned how things kind of curtailed during during COVID. Um, what impact did COVID have on on the volunteer cadre here? Because and how did that impact our operations around here? Because, you know, we have people that aren't, you know, we didn't have as many patients here, but a lot of those volunteers are kind of behind the scenes, not patient facing. So now you had people who may have been relying on a volunteer to come in and, and help with the work and they're not there anymore. So uh, talk a little bit, if you could, about uh, how COVID kind of impacted what we did here and then what you did to kind of, if, if anything, to try and mitigate that. Um, Pre-COVID, we had approximately 600 volunteers and we were growing at a rate of, uh, we would offer a new volunteer orientation every other week uh, for about 10 to 20 volunteers. So, so huge number and growing. Um, we unfortunately had to suspend all of our volunteer programs, as you know, uh, and then that went from 600 to zero. Um, throughout COVID, um, we heard from our volunteers. Um, we, we reached out to them. Uh, they called us every day our volunteers would call and say, when can we come back? When can I come back? Um, they, they, <clears throat> excuse me, they found it uh, challenging to be away from our veterans. And uh, I think it was a huge impact on the facility. Um, we, we, had a, we have a supportive leadership team here. And in working with our leadership team, um, Mr. Bill Karen, our director, um, uh, the leadership deemed uh, the leadership team here, ELT, uh, allowed us to bring them back, knowing that they were an invaluable resource for us. Um, and uh, as part of our efforts to normalize operations, even during the pandemic, uh, sometime I want to say October of 2020, um, we put to we put together a mitigation strategy to uh, bring them back safely. Uh, and, and part of that was that the fact that the, the worst thing that to me that would have happened is we bring someone back voluntarily and then they get COVID and are sick. And being that the majority of our, our volunteers are an older, more vulnerable population, um, that would be a terrible thing. So uh, we worked with uh, Dr. Daisley and our, our friends in um, uh, uh, patient safety, uh, infectious disease, to put together some strategies that will help mitigate um, their uh, their chance of contacting COVID uh, in returning to the facility. Um, did a phased relocation, or I, sh I should say, a, a phased um, a, a phased uh, comeback of a, a return of volunteers, uh, and then also um, and then also during the uh, the. Um, when we brought them back, uh, the, the volunteer, volunteers back, we would also um, do a reorientation training for all volunteers. And a big piece of that was COVID safety, what they can do to protect themselves. Um, and uh, I, I think that went over very well. It was well, well received by the volunteers. And um, we uh, were still not 100%, but um, we, we um, for the most part, the majority of our volunteers have been offered something in terms of coming back. Uh, 
might not necessarily be what they did uh, what they did before COVID, but um, we, we've reached out to them and said, you want to come back? We, we have other things for you to do. Uh, and we're still working on a few, bringing back a few areas. One of, one of the things that I noticed, it, it was interesting to see how much our facility had changed through COVID through our volunteers. Um, recently, within the last few weeks, we started doing uh, free coffee again down downstairs you know people coming in they could get coffee orange juice things like that and that was something that i had completely forgot that we did pre-covid you know i gotten so used to not seeing the coffee folks out there that when i saw them again i was like oh man that's right we used to do that you know and it was one of those things that that was that showed you the impact that our volunteers had here um because it's not you know, you can get a cup of coffee anywhere these days, right? But seeing them there, it was one of those things. It's like, oh, wow, I I, I totally forgot we did that. Yeah. Um, absolutely. And, and that's one of those hospitality services. And um, it, it's kind of funny because, uh, I, and I'm, I thank you for bringing the, the coffee program up, um, because uh, w- w- during the time that our volunteers were coming back and we didn't offer the service, um, I kept hearing from the volunteers um, the patients miss the coffee. The patients miss the coffee. And everything we do here is all about our veteran, um, enhancing that veteran experience for our patients. And uh, we were we were glad to uh, bring back the program here as well as the four primary care clinics. Um, but it's well received and uh, um, we're, we're still working on some fruit juices or at least some juice for them or something else other than the coffee. But um, it, it's not just about a cup of free coffee, as you know, it's about that that smile, that interaction with somebody. Um, the veteran patients love that, and and it's also great for the volunteer. They, they get that sense of purpose, and um, we're 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 not just proud to serve it, but that interaction, and uh, it makes that connection with our patients. And uh, it, it may be just a free cup of coffee to some. But it, but it means a lot more, and it means that the volunteers care about our patients, and that interaction is invaluable. Yeah, and we always want to make sure when people come here, they have a, they have a good experience, right? Absolutely. So, all right, well, we are going to take a quick break, and then after the break, we'll be back with Robert Johnson, and we'll talk a little bit about what you can do if you are interested in being a volunteer. Keep it here. You're listening to The Nine Line, a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. We'll be back with more right after this. It was a normal day. He was in some minor accident, a fender bender. And I had this impulse to call him, but I didn't because I thought I could call him later that week. He abandoned the car. He came home and he shot himself without ever talking to anyone. When I came home that night and I found her, they told me that she had shot herself and I couldn't believe it. I asked if he was okay. Shooting is unfortunately effective. There are not a lot of second chances. Once you pull that trigger, that's it. There is no coming back. 63 Americans a day die by gun suicide. By storing our guns safely, locked, unloaded, and away from ammo, we can give our loved ones a second chance at life. Learn more at endfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by Brady and the Ad Council. To protect her home and family in a disaster, Karen was willing to wade through water, mud, and... 
insurance paperwork. Yeah, I can do this. You go, Karen! By simply understanding and updating what her insurance covers and doesn't cover now, she'll be better prepared no matter when disaster strikes. Learn other simple ways to protect your home and family before a natural disaster at ready.gov. That's ready.gov. A message from FEMA and the Ad Council. Welcome back to The Nine Line, Southern Nevada's source for veteran-related healthcare news and information. Here's your host, Joshua Gray. Hi, welcome back to The Nine Line. I am your host, Joshua Gray, joined by Robert Johnson. He is our Chief for Development and Civic Engagement. And Robert, that used to be called Voluntary Service, and now it's a big, long mouthful of a title. So um, tell me a little bit about what development and civic engagement does if it's not just volunteers. Like, how are we now engaging civically? Thank you, Josh. Uh, One thing I'd like to point out is that the, um, our mission and what we do in, in formerly voluntary service has not changed. That mission, what we do every day, has not changed. But the name, uh, the uh, Center for Development and Civic Engagement, it, it really helps explain more about what we do. Because while voluntary service is a huge piece of our day-to-day operations, we do much more than that. And that's why the reason for the name change at a national level. Um, the, the, uh, the VA Center for Development and Civic Engagement, it encompasses our three missions or our, our three goals. Um, the first and foremost will always be um, the, the outreach, recruitment, and retention of volunteers. Um, huge piece. But it also encompasses two other areas, uh, the second one being uh, the philanthropic engagement. And uh, what that's all about is, um, some people don't realize this, but we actually, our service manages the majority of donations to the facility, whether they're monetary or non-monetary. We work with our community partners, our veterans and uh, community service organizations uh, and donors um, to help manage what the facility needs both monetarily and and for items. And then we, in turn, work with the services to either spend the money that's donated to our VA uh, on things that the facility needs um, based on on those needs, uh, and then um, manage that, uh, become the stewards of of those donations. Um, And then the third piece is the partnership solutions and, and that, is, that entails working closely with the community, the veteran service organizations. Uh, we have about, I would say, roughly around 20 that we work closely with, um, and also the non-veteran, but the community service organizations. And it, it's not necessarily all about donations, but it also encompasses what these organizations can do to help our veterans. Uh, that could be from hosting an, an event here, um, providing hospitalized visits to our inpatients, um, working with us closely uh, to help us recruit volunteers. Um, but we work closely with them throughout uh, uh, our operations. And uh, I think the name, while long, it does, uh, it does encompass some of those other missions and uh, 
helps explain that we're much more than just voluntary service. Right. Yeah. So it, like if somebody wanted to donate, you know, if they had a bunch of blankets or if they had something they wanted to donate, they're like, why am I calling voluntary service? You know, so this does capture that a lot better. Absolutely. Um, talking about those donations, what are some things you talked about money, but when people are donating things, what are folks typically donating and kind of what's the level um, as far as those donations? Is 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 there a threshold they need to meet or, or will people, will we take anything? Um, there are many things that the facility needs and, and what we do is we work closely with the services to identify what those things are. They could be snacks and refreshments for our infusion patients. Um, they could be clothing for indigent or um, homeless veterans. Um, and, and what we do is uh, we put together a needs list and um, we frequently get calls in our office saying that um, from an organization or an individual donor that says, I have this item, I have these things, um, could you use them at your VA? And then we will work closely, at, reach out to the services and say, is this something that we could use? Um, and it's, it's all based on the needs of our facility. We do have a needs list, however. Um, some of the things that we always need are, uh, we, um, we go through a lot of bus passes. Uh, veterans needing transportation um, by way of bus. Um, RTC does offer a grant program for 501c3 organizations uh, that um, individual, or individual, or I should say groups, uh, can um, reach out to them and in turn donate those to the facility for our patients. But uh, uh, we, um, we take in a lot of new clothing. Uh, we do ask that if a group or individual wants to donate clothing to our facility, uh, we do uh, ask that the clothing be new. Uh, and then we get requests from, say, the emergency department or inpatient wards, gentlemen, uh, a young lady, uh, older lady, uh, across the spectrum may need a clothing article, um, uh, toiletries, uh, for instance. But uh, we're the we're the keeper of those things, and uh, we in turn work closely with social work and those different areas to provide those for our patients. And then when it comes to, to interfacing with all of those VSOs, those veteran service organizations, you've got the Masons and you've got the American Legion and DAV. Uh, what's it like having to interconnect all of those groups that, you know, they they all do different things and they're, they're veteran related, but they all have their own angle, right? They all have their own little piece of the pie, you know, and that all conglomerates at, at your service now. So what's, what's that like having yes, to bring all of these people together and get them kind of pushing in the same direction? Um, so that's really all about that third tier and that's the partnership solutions. So... On a quarterly basis, we have what's called a VAVS committee that's made up of representatives and deputies from each of these different organizations. They are, um, they're, uh, they're established at a national level, and uh, we in turn uh, will receive a designee for those different organizations. Uh, in fact, we have a committee meeting uh, actually tomorrow morning. Um, all of them, they're, they're wonderful. Uh, uh, to answer your question, however, um, what is it like? Um, although it sounds complex, and at times it is, uh, they do uh, 
they um, they're they're such a diverse group um, of of organizations. However, in the sense that they all want to help our facility, it, it's an awesome experience. Um, you're you're moved and humbled by how much work these organizations do, not just here at the medical center, but in the community to what they may raise funds for us. They may um, put together volunteers and these groups do fundraising and they work in their communities to help our veteran patients. They're not all veteran service organizations, but what they all have in common is they wanna help our patients. Um, it's a great experience, and uh, we we have uh, we have um, a number of them that just give so much of their time and their resources to help our veteran patients. And I know one of the the, the more popular things that we do here is our Veterans Day uh, car show and barbecue. Yes. Um, which all of the barbecuing is done by volunteers. So um, you know, and that's something we've had to suspend here for for the last couple of years because of COVID. Um, so what's uh, where does that stand? I know that's a hot button issue for a lot of people because that's a huge day for us, and we have a lot of people that come out. So um, you know, when, when can folks expect to see that back? Um, we we are looking at the opportunities of of doing it this November, um, due to the um, the limit of these events um, because of COVID, of course. And I hate to say that, but we we most likely won't be doing a large scale event this year. But I am working with the um, the representative uh, for the Masons, which is one of the uh, the Southern Nevada um, Freemasons uh, of the. Masonic Services of North America, um, their representative. Uh, I am working with him to find out or at least figure out what we might be able to do instead of a large-scale barbecue and car show. Um, no promises, but we are looking at some other options this year. Okay. So I'm going to put you on the spot here for something, and we're going to talk about you here just for a second. So you're the chief of, of this service, and you, you have a staff underneath you, but how did you come into this line of work, right? Managing all of these things and being kind of that, that focal point for all of these things that kind of behind the scenes help uh, help put put uh, move this place forward? Um, Josh, I, uh, I, um, I, I'm humbled. Uh, I, I would much rather, I, I must admit, I'd much rather talk to you about what, what we do as a group and as, as a team. I've got a wonderful staff in, in uh, our, our, C, our local CDCE service. But um, to, um, to uh, answer your question, um, I, um, my background, I was, a, uh, I was an accountant uh, when I first came into the VA and uh, with the uh, ambition of uh, uh, pursuing a, a financial career in VA, um, very much different than what I'm doing now. Um, uh, make a long story short, um, I, I served as the uh, strategic planner and the health system to this uh, health system specialist to the director for about, uh, I had that role for about 14 years here. Um, and that was, uh, that was a learning experience for me to basically learn the inner workings of VA. Um, and also get an understanding of all of the different groups that VA, our local facility, and National VA work with to, to serve veterans. 
um, in 2006, I was um, uh, due to the uh, retirement of uh, our chief of voluntary service at that time, was voluntary service then, um, I was detailed uh, to serve in voluntary service. Uh, I, I, I actually used to do audits of our, um, of our what we call general post funds or those donated pots of money for a specific purpose. And uh, they detailed me there for, uh, you, you get detailed to an area and you think it might be a, you know, a few weeks, maybe a month or two. Um, that quickly turned into a year. Uh, we were able to get an awesome uh, chief at that time to, to replace that individual. But um, uh, I, I enjoyed it, but at the time, it wasn't really part of my career plan. And um, I, was, I, I, I liked what I did uh, working in our, our director's office for the, the director at that time. Uh, so uh, then um, fast forward to about 2017, so we're talking about 11 years later, um, my boss at the time, and that was Miss Peggy Kearns, a, a wonderful director here. Um, uh, she came to me one morning and she asked me, she says, Robert, I, I, I need your help. Um, uh, I, I need someone to um, help out in voluntary service uh, um, due to the reassignment of our, our chief at, at the time, uh, the chief of voluntary at that time. And... Um, and of course, I, I do. I did what every good soldier would say, and that is, uh, yes, ma'am. I'd be glad to help. Um, what would you What would you like me to do? And uh, she told me to. Um, she asked if I could. I, I could uh, run the voluntary program again after all those years, and uh, uh, went down to voluntary service, what's now CDC and E, and um, I, um, I I did that as well as my my current job at the time, and. Uh, I, what I would do is I would work a half a day in one office and then go down to the other office and try to do my best at managing both areas. Um, but w what I discovered is that um, it, it, it is a moving experience and it is so different to work with individuals that choose to be here not for a paycheck, not for anything else but to give back. And um, I, I realized that, that I, I love it, and I love the individuals that I was working with. Um, had a great group. And throughout this time, um, I, I'm, I'm helping recruit for the position. But at the same time, um, I, 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 I want somebody good. I want someone that, that is deserving to work with these volunteers and, and serve as a good steward of these donated funds as well, making sure that the facility has what they need to help them. And um, we, we had a few interested candidates. Uh, long story short is that we re-announced it. Uh, we had to re-announce it um, third time. And uh, by the third time, I said to myself, maybe someone's trying to give me a hint. Um, had a former director here, John Bright, who told me, uh, great director as well, and he he told me, Robert, you got the personality for it. You should have took it back in 2006. And I said, yes, sir, yeah, I know. And um, did that soul searching. And, and I said, uh, you know what? I think I will put in for it. And um, so in uh, 2018, August of 2018, I was selected for the uh, chief of the service. Um, 
in my 28-year career with VA, um, it's the most rewarding job that I've had. Um, when I leave at the end of the day, I feel like what I what I've done matters, and um, I'm, I'm as I mentioned, I'm humbled to work with the volunteers here. They're a wonderful group, and I wouldn't I wouldn't want to work with any other team of individuals. So tell me a little bit, like you said, you, you don't do this alone. You know, there's a lot of people that it, that it takes to make all of this happen. So tell me a little bit about the staff that you have working with you as, and the team that kind of helps all of this go forward. Uh, we have a fantastic team uh, in CDCE, Josh, and um, we, we have one individual um, who uh, we just hired. Uh, in fact, this, uh, this week is his first week. Um, he'll be uh, he does the he'll be doing the interviews and the placement of volunteers um, as well as orientate orientating them uh, educating them as they come on board um, we have an individual um, who um, is responsible for the tracking of our donations uh, monetary and non-monetary uh, we have an individual who does most of our purchasing uh, he works closely with the services uh, and then he also works uh, to, to obtain uh, what they need um, through our donated funds. And then uh, we have an um, individual who um, serves as our program support assistant, our front desk receptionist that helps keep everybody in check and uh, helps the flow in the office. Uh, and then I'm also training one individual. Um, we also have an intern. Uh, who is in the process of learning how to become a specialist? Uh, they do a fantastic job for us, and they're all—they're uh, all dedicated to our veteran patients. Um, two or three of them are actually veterans themselves, and they're proud to help uh, with what we do every day. Excellent. So the last question I have as we get ready to wrap all of this up is: If somebody's out there listening to this and and wants to come in and be a volunteer, how do they go about doing that? So um, we are, our office is located right next to the auditorium. We're in the center of the medical center. I like to say the center of the action. And um, all an individual needs to do is come in and see us. We have an application. We will either set you up with an interview or even interview, uh, schedule you an interview or set you up um, uh, with an interview on the spot, meet with you. Find out what you're interested in doing here um, based on the needs of the medical center. Uh, we keep a list of those, we call them assignments, uh, where volunteers are needed throughout the facility at our outlying clinics. Um, and then in terms of uh, actually the onboarding process, um, once we get that squared away, um, basically two, three things. Uh, all volunteers do get a background check they get fingerprinted in human resources. Uh, they do a background check. Usually, we, we on average, we, we kind of get that back in four to five days. Uh, and then all volunteers have to get a, a TB test. It's the uh, a test to make sure that they've uh, never or, or not been exposed to TB uh, through occupational health. Uh, when we get those two clearances, we set the volunteer up for a new volunteer orientation. Uh, and then get them badged and then made part of our wonderful volunteer family here. Well, that's, uh, that sounds like a pretty involved process, actually, for, for volunteering. Yeah, um, it, uh, it is, but we, we help make it fun. We work with the volunteers closely. 
uh, during that process. But one thing I will point out is that um, a lot of people don't realize this, especially our staff here, and that is that just about everything that, and that an employee has to do, volunteers have to do that as well as part of that onboarding process. We just have a little different way of doing it, but um, at the same time, they they get their they get the same clearances that an employee gets, uh, and we even have volunteers who uh, have access to our network system, and that is possible as well. But uh, we we do require that they get the appropriate screening by VA policy and regulation. Great. Well, Robert, thank you for joining me today. This has been a, a great discussion about some uh, some very important people in, in this facility and, and people who really uh, contribute a lot to making sure everything works out well and, and, and our veterans are happy with uh, when they walk in the door and when they walk out the door. So thank you very much for joining me today. Um, it's been my pleasure to talk to you. Thank you, Josh. Um, we have a wonderful family of volunteers here and uh, Every day, I, I love coming in and, and working with them. So thank you very much. Absolutely. And that's going to do it for this episode of The Nine Line. For Robert Johnson, I'm Joshua Gray. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to The Nine Line, a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. For more information about what the VA is doing for Nevada's veterans, check out our official webpage at www.lasvegas.va.gov or follow us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Las Vegas VA. Thanks for listening.